So I want to talk to you about John chapter 9, verse 1 through 3. I talk about, uh, I talk about this passage fairly regularly. I say once every 15, 20 years. I went the other day and looked at my database and my preaching, and I was shocked. I preached about Jesus 120 times. I preached about God's will 220 some odd times. God's ways. I go through my, my database, and I've just, I've just uh, you know, I'm coming to the end of my preaching, and I've, I've, I believe I have, at least according to what I see, a fairly thoroughly covered the Bible, which is what I wanted to do. It was my goal, to cover the Bible thoroughly, give you as much as I could give you, and uh, you you got to read it on your own. Ultimately, you're responsible, but I'm partially responsible. I want to tell you, I want to talk about, and you know, it's kind of like what happened to Marilyn Rose, you know, she had all her family down this week, she's getting her house remodeled, and she had her family down, and it was a big deal, you know, we're going to spend a week with them, Christmas, and you know, going to have all the kids down, and I know she so looked forward to that, and, and then to break her hip, but that's not uncommon. Tragedies come about in our lives. If you live so long, you're going to have a tragedy or two tragedies. The question I'm going to try to answer is why some tragedies, not all of them, but why some, not all of them, but why some tragedies happen. Why do some tragedies happen? John chapter 9, verse 1 through 3, and Jesus passed by. I just want to sing now. And Jesus passed by, Jesus passed by. Oh, what a difference since Jesus passed by. I can't explain it, and I cannot tell you why. But oh, what a difference since Jesus passed by. Jesus passes by your house. He's going to make some difference in you. And Jesus passed by, and he saw a man which was blind from his birth. You want to note that. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, his disciples, his disciples, people who walked with him, Master, who did sin? It's a given. The man would not be blind and would not have ever been born blind unless somebody sinned. That's their reasoning. Who did sin? This man? Or his parents, reminds me of circumstantial psychologists who blame the parents for every trouble the kid has. My parent, my mom and dad had a solution for that. Oh, shut up, gut up, and take it. I tell you, the old World War II generation didn't take any blame, and they shouldn't have. You know, if you had an emotional problem, that was your problem. And uh, the psychiatrists of the day, and it's been normal for this circumstance of psychology. Blames everybody else for the trouble you got. The, when, you, when you start healing with the trouble you got, it's when you start pointing right here. And when you point here, then you'll point there. And so he was born blind. So he's born blind, verse 3, and he answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Wow. I come to you this morning preaching this, having lived 70 years. 
I've had migraines consistently for 25 years. I had to gout. How many here have had gout? I had gout for 25 plus years regularly. At the end of the thing, they were connecting. One would get over and I'd get another one. One would get over and I'd get another one. I had polycythemia vera hit me at 40 years old, which is I'm making too much blood and I have to give blood at least. I used to give four pints a year just to stay alive. I had 28 years old, I had cancer of the thyroid and had it removed and then had a heavy dose, a lifetime dose of radiation. I married an Irish woman. Oh, that's not on that list. But I, I, I don't, and I, God, God forbid, man, I, I don't want anything else. But I know something, something, a little bit of suffering. And I can tell you, you suffer by yourself. Jesus, Jesus had a lot of contact with blind people. And Brother Tom Gillespie uniquely has had a lot of contact with blind people. Brother Tom goes and reads to the blind. By the way, if you'd like to do that as a ministry, you just see Tom. Maybe you know where to go, how to do that. Maybe you know some blind people. Tom did the craziest thing in the world. He took a blind man on a bicycle ride. He, you know a two-seat bicycle? You put the guy in the back, hopefully. <laughs> Never thought about that. Of course you put him on the back. You put the blind man on the back, Tom got on the front. The guy had never experienced, right, what it was to ride a bicycle. You wouldn't. And so Tom rode the guy on a bicycle, gave him the thrill of the wind going across his face and the vibration and, and imminent death. <laughs> and so Tom, Tom's the only man I ever knew did that. I didn't know a lot of people, but Tom's the only guy I ever knew did that. But if you'd like that, he, but Tom's been around the blind a lot. Helps the blind, cares for the blind. That's good. That's good. Anybody say that was bad? No, nobody say that was bad. Do good unto all men, especially them in the household of faith. Jesus said, let your works be made so manifest that the world will look at you and say, that's good. Even people who hate us and say, well, that's good. What they're doing is good. Helping folks. Well, this blind man, he'd been born blind. Jesus had a lot of contact with blind in Bethesda. Jesus healed the blind man. I'm going to read it for you. Mark 8, 22 to 25, it says he came to Bethesda and said a, a blind man, uh, and they bring a blind man unto him and besought him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. Interesting, I'm not going into why on all that, but when he had spit on his eyes, spit on his eyes, the spit of Jesus had healing power. He put his hands upon him, upon him, and he said unto him, he asked him if he saw aught. And he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. He did not have 2020. And in verse 25, after that, he put his hands again upon his eyes. He made him look up, and he was restored, and he saw every man clearly. And I have in my notes, 2020. In Jericho, blind Bartimaeus received his sight. In Mark chapter 10, verse 46, 47, it says, And they came to Jer Jericho, and he went out 
of Jericho with his disciples, a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, son of Timotheus, sat on the highway begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus passing by, if I may put that in there, Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And you know the story, he got, he got, he got his sight. Jesus healed many, many blind people throughout his ministry, of course, that we do not know about. We know in Matthew chapter 21, 14, and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. So he healed blind people in the temple. And really, wherever he went, in Matthew chapter 15, verse 31, it says, insomuch that the multitude wondered when they saw the dumb speak, the maimed to be whole, the lame to walk, and the blind to see. And they glorified God of Israel. We're not, what, the miracles of Jesus were not anything like these so-called faith healers. They were provable by medical profession. They were undeniable and absolute miracles. They weren't always questionable or internal or you couldn't see it. It was assigned to John the Baptist when John the Baptist uh, in Luke chapter 7, verse 22, and then Jesus, and he said, who is this? Are you the Christ? And so the disciples, Jesus said, go tell him. And Jesus answered and said to me, under them, go your way, tell John what things you have seen and heard, how that the blind see. He put the first thing there. And the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised. And to the poor, the gospel is preached. Glory to God. But there was something different about John chapter 9, this blind man, born blind from verse. There, is, there are 41 verses devoted in the Bible to this story. That, that's big, that 41 verses, so he must want us to learn something from, from it. As uh, far as I know, this man was especially mentioned because he was possibly the worst-case scenario about being blind because he was blind from his birth. It's possible, it's possible that this man had no eyes. They just had eye sockets but never had eyes. It's possible why the reaction to his healing was so great that it would seem to lead or lend support to that it was radical. In other words, if you had no eyes in your sockets, people didn't go around wearing black sunglasses, right? He was seen by a lot of people. He was born, he was blind for a long time. And so people recognized him by his obvious different look that he had by not having eyes. At least that's what I'm, I'm just postulating that for you, something, something was different. Evidently, the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin tried to stop this whole thing, but they just couldn't deny it. Why? It's because the man had walked around the area for years, and neighbors and parents were witnesses of it. They knew who he was. They, they called in the neighbors for a witness in John 9, 8. The neighbors, therefore, and they which uh, before had seen him, that he was blind, said, is not he, is, is not this he that sat and begged? And it says, yeah, this is the guy. John 9, 32, since the world began, it was not heard that any man opened the eyes of one born blind. Evidence points, consequently, to the possibility that this man had these empty sockets I talked to you about where his eyes should have been which disfigured him radically 
and made him recognizable and made the miracle outstanding above all the other blind people that he evidently had healed. Imagine a day in the life of the blind man. Let's just put your imagination on with me. He knew nothing else but blackness. Even if I had you close your eyes, you still would be able to see some light. It's not total, total darkness is what he knew. He only knew total, absolute darkness. Not a glimmer of light. Not at all. Think about it. He never saw the objects that his ears would pick up. People's voices, noise of horses going by, noise of you know, carts going by, birds singing. All, how many noises do you hear in life? You hear a lot of noises. He never saw not one of what was making those noises. He did not have a, a clue. He never understood the meaning of a beautiful sunset or the magnificence of a red rose. He could, can, you can't describe a rose to someone. You just can't do it. There's no vocabulary to describe a sunset in Florida. There's just no vocabulary. You can give it a shot, but you're not you're going to fall far, for, far short of it. He knew nothing else in his life but being a neighborhood beggar. On the totem pole of human value, he was the bottom of that caste system. You say, well, we don't have a caste system. Yes, we do. Imagine being reduced to beg. Imagine the comments from the peers who he could who 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 could see and he couldn't. Imagine the personal emotional battles that he would have to fight, realizing that he was totally dependent on others to feed him, to help him, to help him get clothed, give him water. Imagine a feeling of worthlessness, emptiness, and sorrow. Imagine hearing about others working and hearing their conversations, hearing about them farming and supporting themselves and having a wife and having children. By the way, that two that sang up here, the two girls that sang up here, which one is a mother of three? They both look 19 years old to me. He never could help his parents. What feeling, what feelings? I've meditated on this, dwelled on this a little bit. What feelings of purposelessness? And I'm going to ask a couple questions, a few questions. Number one, why did God allow this? That's a long time. That's a long time to have an infirmity of that radical nature. Why, the question he may have asked is, why am I here? What purpose do I serve? I'm a taker. I'm not a giver. I'm a taker. Jesus said it's better to give and receive, and there's been no truer statement made. It's hard to receive. This Christmas, you folks have been so, so generous to this preacher. So generous. Hard for me to take all that. Don't stop, but it's been hard for me. 
is really hard. It's so much more fun to give. But now you've given me some ammunition in which I can give. And that I appreciate. Questions like, why have others been given sight and why have I been born blind? This man never knew acceptance from those around him. The Jews considered his blindness as judgment from God on either his sins or his parents' sins. That was their conclusion. In John chapter 9, verse 34, they answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. Even Jesus' disciples, as I said before, believe this to be true. Even the disciples said it's either his sin or his parents' sin, but something really bad happened for this person to be born blind. Now, I want to dispel that in your mind today. The man was as low as a person can go. He was helpless. He was purposeless. He was despised, he was rejected, he was condemned. And if I may say, that was not going to change. Has anybody ever heard of a person born blind receiving their sight? The answer was always no. It's not possible, it's not going to happen. There is no hope for you. Now, brother, hope keeps people going. A little hope, don't take a lot of hope, just a little hope. He didn't have any hope. There was no hope. With no hope, he was going to get better. Now let's look at God's view of our suffering. John 9, 3, it says, Neither was this man sin nor his parents. This is a new truth. But that the works of God should be made manifest in him that the works of God should be man made manifest in him. Almost nothing good comes in this world without suffering. I'd love to tell you otherwise. But almost nothing good comes into this world, really good, eternal, comes to us without special suffering. God does not care a whole lot. Here's something I hate to even say it, but it's, it's biblically true. I, when I say care, be, I want careful and define that word. He loves us. He cares about us. But he's looking through a different set of glasses than you are. He does not care a whole lot about your temporary sufferings, about your short-term pain. He did not have a lot of sympathy for physical sufferings because at the best, they are temporary and they are brief. And God, by his nature, is into permanence. Well, 40, 50 years of suffering amount to much when compared to a billion years. You answer my question. No. Little 40, 50 years of suffering this is a billion years. This little bit over here between my fingers is the space of 40, 50 years. And this is a billion years. But a billion years is just the beginning. How long is eternity? Preacher, it's forever. I can't even put my mind around it. I can't put my mind around it. 
Never, ever, 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 ever coming to a close. We're, isn't everything about this life ending and starting and ending and starting and ending? Job says the day of a man's death is better than the day of a man's birth. There's always an ending to it, something that's started. Everything we look at has an ending to it. But in heaven, there's no end. And so God in his glasses is looking at your suffering and your trouble if you'll react to it correctly and you'll give it to him and you'll give him the glory and you'll take it as from God and you have an attitude of grace. Oh, he's taking it for his glory. This is something permanent, something good. We're eternal creatures. We're going to live somewhere forever. God's view always, you look at it, always takes into eternity. He's never short-sighted. In verse 3 of chapter 9, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. This man suffered all those years with all that humility so that God could work through him and do some great and mighty thing that glorified God. So here's some new thoughts. Would God allow me to suffer for years so that his power may be made manifest through me? What's the answer? You say, when I raise my hand like this, say yes. Ready? You're good. You mean that God would want me to stay in a bad marriage for years and suffer it out? Because it, is, because it is just simply the right thing to do? Didn't think I was going to go there, did you? People come to me and say, my husband treat me so bad, I want to divorce him. I said, God said, what God had joined together, let no man put us under. Stick it out! They don't come back for the second council. They go down the road to the Methodist guy who says, oh, divorce him. God would never want you to suffer like that. They go to the one who tells them what they want to hear. And then after they go to four or five of them and get the same answer, by the way, divorce him because God would never want you to stick it out. Then they come back to me and they'll say, preacher, what's the Bible say? This thing blows up, man. I don't know. What's the Bible say? And I'll say, I told you what the Bible says. You already know what the Bible says, don't you? And he said, I do know what the Bible says, but I don't like it. I'm looking for a way to get out of it. You don't know how bad it is. I said, I don't have to know how bad it is. I know that what God joins together, let no man put asunder. And look, there ain't no wiggle room on that. There are marriages in this room that were at a point of divorce, but you stuck it out. You did what was right, and God has restored you. And if you think being married to an Irish woman has been easy, and of course I don't let her get up here and say her half of it. (laughs) You mean that God would allow, question, third question. You mean that God would allow chronic sickness to linger in my life for years 
so that I could show his sufficiency and grace and learn something of him? Yes. Yes. Do you trust God really? Or just when you're feeling good with no pain and money in the bank? Or do you really trust God? How does God know whether you trust him or not? He sends something by. He sends something by your house. A tragedy. And sees where you go. Sees what your attitude is. There are people out there, I go door to door on a regular basis, and I can tell you there are literally thousands and ten thousands, yea, maybe even hundreds of thousands of bitter people that got out there. God didn't deal them the right hand in their poker game. God didn't give me the right cards. God, he loved you, but he didn't love me. He answered your prayers, but he didn't love mine. All of that's not biblical. All of that's of the devil, and all of that's of the flesh, and all of it's false. The truth is God loves you. For God so loved the world. As our brother said in Sunday school class, simply do you believe it? Do you believe it? That's what this whole thing's about. Do you believe God? You know this very, very familiar passage, 2 Corinthians 12, 7. Paul wrote 13 of the 27 books in the New Testament. The Holy Spirit, wow, works through that man like no other guy in the New Testament. And he says in verse 7 of chapter 12, and lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, that's those 13 books, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, that I should be ex- lest, lest I should be exalted above my measure. Above measure. In other words, he said, lest pride would come in and ruin me. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, three times, that it might depart from me. He was no fool. He didn't like pain. Nobody likes pain. Everybody hates pain. You're crazy if you like pain. He sought God three times. The great apostle Paul put it on the line, sought God. God's answer was, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, and this is, this is past, and it, therefore I take pleasure. I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. Now that's ribeye, that's meat. Baby Christians don't get this. You're not going to get it yet. The whole thing is about our outlook. If the Bible is true and eternity is long and heaven's real and life is short, suffering and suffering is a vehicle to get the grace of God. How many here want the grace of God? Everybody? Hope so. I want the grace of God. Well, one way it comes is through suffering. One way. And I say, oh, Lord God, a young man, I didn't know much about the Bible. I got out of Bible college and I said, oh God, I want to know you, whom to know is life everlasting. I want Philippians 3.10 to be real in my life. I don't want to go through this life and slip through and miss what you have for me. I want to grow. It wasn't a week or two later I got diagnosed with cancer. 
I thought, ooh, he answered that prayer quickly. Yeah. So let's go back to the blind man. Let's go what we call post-blindness. I believe God gave him two new eyes. What in the world? Two new eyes. Remember the time Jesus went out there and he, he went down, he, he spit in the dirt, and he took a little dirt and he spit in it. Where do we come from? Dirt. So he took his spit with that dirt and he anointed this blind man's eyes. He says, go wash a pool of Saloma. I think I got that right. And the guy washed and came off saying, I believe he made eyes for the guy. I talked to Dr. Ann Livingston about it, medical doctor, surgeon. She said, Bill, I never looked at it that way, but it sounds to me like that's what happened. He took the earth, the substance, and just put two new eyes in the guy. That's the God we worship. That's the God we serve. So the rest of life for this guy, he was famous. He went from nobody to somebody because he was famous in that town. You know that. Are you the guy? You're the guy. You're, you're the guy, right? You're the guy that walked for all these years with no eyes and were blind and was, you know, you're, you, what? What? He was famous. He accepted Jesus as his Savior by faith, I believe. He got eternal life out of it. And I, and I, and I say lastly, he appreciated his sight more than any of us do that have been born seeing. He maybe appreciated it 10 times more than a normal person. Everything he saw, he was like, wow, wow. A sunset came and went. You go buy it. You go buy sunsets, and you think, except for the roaches, God bless you. Is Marty here today? Yeah. I envy you, brother. I mean, I do. That's a sin, and I'm trying to get over it. Marty lives right on the beach, and out of his big windows face the sunset. Nobody should have that. <laughs> and I mean, and I bet you, you may suffer a little bit of what I'm talking about, meaning you've seen so many. Maybe you just see one and go on. But man, when I go out and see one of those, I'm like stare at the thing and I want to meditate on it. And I want to see the colors change the hues of red to purple, the pink to different colors. And I just want to look at the whole thing and go, whoa. Imagine somebody had never seen before. He never got over it. So he lived a life full of gratitude. Well, like old Bob Jones Sr. said, when gratitude has died on the altar of a man's heart, he's well nigh hopeless. Are you grateful? You may have come in here this morning grumbling about this and grumbling about that and grumbling about that. Well, you weren't born blind. I don't know. I, maybe if you'd ask him, was it worth being blind for all those years? I got a feeling he just said, yeah. And by the way, He's been seeing now for almost 2,000 years. And he'll be seeing the rest of time. There'll be no end. So for those years that he was not allowed to see is a small price to pay 
for eternal life, Jesus' attention and a testimony to the public that Jesus indeed is who he said he is. He's God manifest in the flesh. I hope you know him. Now, when a trouble comes your way, now, not if, but when. I look at guys, I look at guys like Abdiel, which is, to me, young, 38 years. He's 38. But man, what's happened? 40-year-old guy, 40-year-old guy. I mean, compared to his brother Zook, you know, Zook's over double your age. Zook's 88. Zook, you can't have too much more happen, you know what I mean? But when you look at a 40-year-old and you say, who knows what's got a phrase, but you don't just trust God all through the whole thing. Trust God, believe it's from heaven. Have a good attitude. Embrace it. It's from him. And God will eventually deliver you and anoint you and bless you for being a witness for him. You can do it if you're trusting. Don't you quit trusting. Even when everything is dark and black, trusting. Even when there's no hope in sight, trusting. Even when there's not an inkling of deliverance, trusting. Father, help us this morning. Give us wisdom from above. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida, Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.